Hey, Tori. Hi, Greg. I have a question for you. Um, okay. Have you ever been like at a party where everyone there has seen like the same, they're all watching the same show on, I don't know, Netflix or something like that, or they've all, you know, they've all listened to the same album and everyone is talking about it. And you're like maybe the only person in the room that hasn't. And you're, <laughs> yes. you're too cool to actually, you would say, no, I'm the one who told everybody about that movie. No, there, for me, it's typically older movies. Like yeah. there are, there are, big time movies that I haven't seen yet. Um, I'm trying to think of one like, uh, Oh shoot. Braveheart. I've never seen Braveheart. Okay. All I know about Braveheart okay. is that like he yells. Yeah. Freedom. I'm, I'm, I'm resisting screaming freedom into the microphone right so now. So if Braveheart comes up at a party, I'm yeah. lost. Yeah. You've got no references there. Nope. Okay. So there's that. And there's somebody who's just going, Oh, I'm too embarrassed to even say that I haven't read that or seen that yet and everybody's talking about it and then there's somebody in the room who's not just talking about it that's all they're saying and they get to a place where they tell you this probably is the best movie ever like in the history of ever and then you start pulling back and going well, i don't even know if i'm going to watch that movie now do, do, do you ever have that reaction or is am i the only one that does that oh no i probably have that reaction too often of okay. if you tell me something's the greatest thing ever i'm en enough of a contrarian yeah. That I don't want to watch it or listen to it, or I'm going in and you have set the bar way too high. And yeah. even if it's great, if you tell me it's the greatest thing ever, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a fun fact. We're not talking about movies at all today. We're uh, not. But I do think that there is this phenomenon that I see out there with today's topic, at least what we end up talking about for a while. Uh, welcome to a godzillion and one in this podcast. We really are connecting in so many different ways with so many different thinkers and writers and leaders out there. Uh, but this is one of those topics where some people I think I've talked to are embarrassed to even admit, I don't know what you're talking about. I hear this word all the time. Then there's a huge middle portion of the conversation of people going, I'm so excited about this because it has absolutely helped me and it's it, this is a cool thing. And then there may be some on both ends of the extreme, somebody who might be a little bit too, like just that's all they're going to talk about. And they completely elicit a response from people on the other end going, well, then I'm not even going to look at this. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about today? Enneagrams. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a cool conversation that we had with, with Jen Jet Barrett today that I just, I don't know about you, but it was, it was just so helpful and informative. Um, I think totally. she talked to, to every one of those people I just mentioned. Yeah. And I think she specifically talked to both of us without knowing it too of I don't know my number and we're going to get into what does that even mean? Uh, mm -hmm. Numbers. Yeah. Um, and I've had people say, oh, you're such a this number or, hey, I took a quiz and it told me this. And somebody goes, oh, gosh, that's wrong. You're definitely not that. Yeah. So I was a little coming into this like, am I going to am I going to feel left out? Am I going to understand what they're talking about? Um, am yeah. I going to yeah. feel like a contrarian and want to push it away? And the answer to all of that was no. Jen was exactly what I think I needed to hear, which was informative and helpful. But she also, to your point, she was speaking to 
three different audiences. Yeah. Um, so people who love the Enneagram, people who know nothing about the Enneagram, and people who are kind of hesitant somewhere in the middle about trying to figure out what to do with it. So yeah. she yeah. was awesome. And and just so grounded when she started talking about identity and and looping it back to the power of the gospel. This is really, really good stuff. No matter where you end up on, and the reason I kind of took so long setting that up is I do think people are all over the map on the Enneagram. And I think mm-hmm. this is a great episode, no matter where you are, to begin to think about some of these things. So, you know, Jen is the co-founder of the Well Summit. She is an Enneagram coach. She's a speaker and an entrepreneur. And I love when she was talking about uh, working with and and creating spaces, safe spaces for women um, who, what was it? She said they sit in the tension of, of feeling too much and not enough. Mm-hmm. And which, oh, and, That'll and preach. I, oh man. And, and she said at the end, I, I think this applies to people beyond young women. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. but um, just, just such a good conversation that I think will be helpful and stretching and informative. And at the end, even just, I think it's restoring. So uh, I hope that you all will will see this as being really good for your soul. And let's just jump in now to our conversation with Jen Jet Barrett. So Jen, I just wanted to, first of all, thank you uh, for doing this. We were talking a little bit earlier about just there's so many directions we could go with this conversation. But would you, for those who don't know you, we've just sort of given some really good ideas of the work that you're doing, but would you tell us a little bit about you and and your family? And we'd love to just have some context. Yeah. I Thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm really excited about it. I got to hear a little bit more about kind of the vision for your podcast, and it is so fun. So I'm honored to be on here. Um, I live in Northwest Arkansas with my husband, and we, uh, he's a middle school teacher, educator. He just actually got out of the classroom after 15 years. He's doing administration. And I, I say that he is as patient with me, uh, that he is because he has been a middle school educator. So, um, he is, he is a <laughs> kind and gracious and very patient man. And, um, we love life. Up, um, I guess we're down here. You're in St. Louis, um, down yeah. here in Northwest Arkansas. And we are actually child-free by choice. Um, it is just a, a decision that came with a lot of prayer. And um, we do not have children, but we have just committed to um, just steward our time, resources, um, and energy uh, to serve and love on, on people. We have a huge heart for young adults, <laughs> for the, those 20-somethings that are just navigating um, this in between life of, um, you know, college and adulthood with all of its responsibilities. So that's really where our heart is and where we love to pour out. So, well, okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about that for just a second. This idea of pouring into young people, um, tell us a little bit more about really about the, the, the well summit. Cause I just have a couple of questions about that that I'd love to just talk about. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the the Well Summit was birthed, gosh, probably about six years ago out of um, just a desire to gather women 
who were sitting in the tension of feeling too much and not enough. They, they were in this tension of feeling like, um, man, what God had given them that these gifts and this wiring, um, was not quite fitting in the world. Either they were striving to be, uh, the success that they saw in other people, or they weren't feeling like they were enough to accomplish that, um, success. And so, um, I just saw a lot of isolation, a lot of negative comparison, a lot of, um, women just being stuck. And I wanted to gather them together and start unpacking those things that were holding them back. So a lot of what we do is look at lies, fear, shame, grief, just those things that maybe as young, um, as young people, we weren't really taught how to process. So, um, maybe if we, if you were a believer at a young age, a, a Christian at a young age, for instance, you were taught how to pray and read your Bible and, um, some of those spiritual disciplines. But I know for me, I was never really taught what to do with, um, n- you know, false narratives in my brain. Maybe something, somebody spoke something over me as a kid and I filed that away and believed it to be true. Mm-hmm. And now it's become just a very familiar neg- narrative in my mind. And I think that it is true. And, or fear and fears that just kind of keep us in bondage or shame, um, in our life that these things that will just have us paralyzed. And it's not, honestly, it's not limited to women. I think all of us as humans find ourselves trying to process through these things. And so I just have a huge heart, um, no matter what the age to equip women to, to process through these things, men and women, to be honest. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I've been hosting this experience called Camp Well for the last five years. We host it twice a year. It's a real small gathering, um, in Colorado on this amazing ranch. And this is what we do. We get women out of their day to day lives that are just ridden with responsibility and pressures and busyness and try to get them away, um, in the mountains for four days. And, a year ago, I sat in this room watching women experience um, just a release. And um, so this of, was during COVID. Yeah, we had to cancel one of them. Um, the when COVID started, we had, or we had, I think we were scheduled for our seventh, seventh or eighth one, and we had to cancel that one um, because of COVID. But um, I guess the fall of 20 what are we in? what are we in yeah. 2020 fall exactly. of 2020 right. oh my gosh right and um, we were able to resume in a really small scale yeah. and um that was when i just looked around the room and i saw women experiencing this kind of like freedom and renewed mm. sense of like life and joy and they were being equipped to process these things for the very first time and these were women ages 25 to 65 i mean they were completely across the board and most of them saying, this is the first time, this is the first time I have unpacked these things and saw how narratives that I grew up with, my storyline, things that happened in my life are impacting me still today. And I thought, what if I had had this when I was 20? Like, what if when I was in my early, early 20s, someone had equipped me with these tools to unpack these things? How would my life have been different? 
And so um, we've been doing what is called Camp Well for five years. We, we're about to host our 10th one next week. And so we have now, uh, we are now launching Scout. And that is specifically for 18 to 24 year olds because, I mean, this is an age group that, um, and especially right now, you brought up COVID, especially in the midst of a global pandemic, not being equipped with how to manage and process and sort through grief, anxiety, fear, um, the plans for their lives completely being dismantled. Uh, how could we gather them up and kind of equip them to process through these things? So we're launching Scout and we're super excited about it. Well, I'm just loving this idea that you're actually talking to okay let's just say young women you're talking to young yes, women about yeah. this and i i just think that's so important it feels like i don't know that we've said this word yet but it feels like identity is yes. one of those things that gets talked about yes 100 percent. i have seen our identity so much we wake up one day and we realize how much of our identity has been informed by what people have said of us and what the expectations we have lived underneath our whole lives Instead of really looking um, fresh at God's word, at scripture, at what, um, how he has uniquely designed us, which he really has. Scripture points to that over and over again. We have been given gifts, different gifts and wiring. Um, we have given uniqueness in, in, the, in the global world of people and humankind. We've been given uniqueness and yet we're no... Uh, more valuable than the person to, to our left or to our right. So it's holding those two tensions. Like we're not better than the person to the left or to the right, but we do hold a uniqueness that is God designed um, for a purpose um, to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. And when you, when you can start unpacking that and you realize that your life is not just um, kind of a, whether you believe your life was a mistake or whether you you believe your life is just another random life on the planet, that can feel, um, when we feel purposeless, we can feel hopeless. Okay, Jen, so I just really easy transition now into the other thing that we wanted to talk about. This is a huge topic, and you know this, this idea of the Enneagram, but I'd love if we could, we were talking earlier, I'd love to think about this through maybe two or three sets of eyes. So one of those is someone who, have you ever been to a party where everybody else is using the same word and you feel like you're the only one who hasn't either used the word or seen the movie? I'm quite convinced that there are still, even today, people who go, well, I've heard of the Enneagram, but I, like, I don't even know what it is. And so I'd love for you to help us with that. But then I think there are other groups of people. There are some people who are hesitant about it. There are some people who have found great meaning in this. And maybe there are even some that, that might be, um, they might be misunderstanding the, the, the use of this tool. That's an awful lot. But I think over the course of maybe some minutes here, could we just talk about this? Here's a big loaded question. What is the Enneagram? And can you just give us an overview for that person who is saying, I've heard the word, I don't really know what it is. Yes, these are amazing questions. And I'm grateful that you're asking all of them because I think they're super, super important that a lot of people aren't asking. 
So the Enneagram is honestly, it's, it's a personality assessment similar and yet different, but similar and different than others that you've heard of like Myers-Briggs or the DISC test. It is similar, but I'm also going to talk about why it's different. But it basically, it's been around for, gosh, 3,000 years is what has been said of Enneagram, that it's been around that long. There is a lot of disagreement as to the origins of them. And I think that's why some people can start to, um, there's concerns or questions or yeah. how did it originate and, and a lot of, um, you know, argument around that. I'm happy to send you a link that you can keep, you know, include in show notes for, for anyone. I think that would be so helpful. I don't want to, I want you to keep going, but it was yes. interesting when we put it out on our socials, Hey, we're going to be talking to, to, uh, Jen Jet Barrett today about the Enneagram. What's, what's a question you would, you would want to ask her. The number one question was, can you help us with these sort of, you know, questionable, I think was the way mm -hmm. people were saying it origins of this and how as a Christ follower, not everybody yes. who's listening to this is a Christian, but as a Christ follower, how do, how do I, how does that fit in my brain? And so these are things that you're going to give us some resources on. Yes. I'm going to give you some resources and you can include them in your Brilliant. show notes, but I'm going to speak to my personal, um, my personal thoughts, prayer, and where I've landed on this from experience. Okay. My experience in learning a biblical approach to Enneagram has shown me over and over again that it is not beyond understanding for me to consider that God did innately create us with different wiring. I think if anyone out listening is a parent, you can clearly see if you've got three children, they're raised in the exact same home, same family unit, same environment they are all wired completely different. And so what explains that? You know, that's my question. What explains that three children raised in the same home can have different wirings and personalities? And I do believe that God, we see it physically manifested in our bodies that we are all created differently. Why would we not all have different wirings and characteristics um, in, our, in our personalities and what right. motivates us? And so if that is true, if that is true from the beginning of time, then what is to say that uh, whether it's psychologists, um, uh, gosh, ministers of the faith, uh, different people in different categories of studying this work, who's to say they all didn't see this happening in human development? Now, do we know to be true that the enemy can take anything God intended for good and twist it and turn it for evil? Do we know that to be true? Yes. 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 Do we also know that um, God can and wants to redeem those things that are broken? And so I just think we have an opportunity to take something that, um, again, it's been, there's questions surrounding the origin and original use of Enneagram or even, which I question if what we're questioning was actually the origin, the origin of Enneagram, or is it God created us uniquely in these different ways, different wirings, different ways to view the world, just like we can define in Myers-Briggs or DISC. 
and a group of people used it in in ways that would not align with God's original intent. Okay, so those are those are some pretty firm guardrails that you're putting up, and I want to come back to them. But let let me just reach back to something you said about you call it innate, and you've you've mentioned more than once God creating us. So your worldview is my worldview that we are created. And I'm going to go further. And you, I think you would agree with me. We're created in his image, which means an awful lot. But I think one of those things is that we innately, we want to know more. And we, we, I think we, we even look for ways to improve and to understand others. It's part of that yearning for, for relationships. So I can see where tools properly used like the Enneagram, they help us with these things. They help us with self-awareness. They can help us with, with uh, self-development and, and understanding others. So uh, if that's the case, will you take us just a little bit further? And again, such a loaded question, but can you walk us through for someone who is saying, okay, help me now. What are these personality types that you're talking about? Is it even possible for you to do them justice here in this shorter period of time to just maybe just go through them real quickly for us? Yes, I can. And I, I want to speak to your person who has been at a party and they've heard people talking about Enneagram and they have felt left out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to speak to that person. Like I understand and I get there is a group of people that um, are are annoyed or frustrated with the overuse of Enneagram. And I just want to say, hang tight with me because I see you and I affirm that. Like I. I do believe that the Enneagram has in some spaces been overused and misused. And I do want to come back to that um, okay. in a moment, okay. but I'm going to walk through it is it's, it's nine ways or perspectives that we see the world. Um, a lot of tests that we take are testing our behavior, but what Enneagram is looking at is what motivates our behavior. So it's not just what we do, but it's why we do what we do. And we're all motivated by core fear and core desires. And that's different for everyone. And the Enneagram basically says there's nine different core fears and core desires that motivate people's behavior. And so I'm just going to run through these real quickly. Um, There And there are nine different numbers. Not one number is better than the other. It's It's in a circular diagram just to show that they're all equal. Not one is better, but ones are considered your moral perfectionists. They're the reformers. They see what's right and wrong in the world. Twos are your supportive advisors or your helpers. Threes are successful achievers. They're the performers. Fours are your romantic individualists. Um, they have a deep ability to sit in pain with people. Fives are the more internal investigative thinkers. They have a deep desire for information and knowledge to feel secure. Sixes are loyal guardians. They're very loyal loyalists, but they also can uh, consider worst case scenarios sometimes. Sevens are your entertaining optimists. They're your enthusiasts. Uh, Life is um, always half full. Uh, Eights are your protective challengers. Uh, and nines are the peaceful mediators. So it's all how we are motivated um, in our behavior and how we see the world. Okay. So the very first thing that I notice when you do that is um, 
you're giving the really the 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 positive uh life-giving aspect of each one of these perspectives on on reality. I mean, you're saying that we all look at things differently. So I love that because a lot of times you'll hear people immediately say, well, it's this and it's this. And there is a there is another side to the coin when you are talking about the Enneagram. Is that fair to say? Yes. For each of the, I mean, because that's reality for each of us. Yes. Um, but I'm j- I just had to call out, I love the way that you led with that. It was affirming and um, I don't know, it just... That, that if we're made in the image of God, then he, he's got plans for us. And I, I, I don't know. I just needed to notice that and say that out loud. Yeah. And I think you're bringing up something where I think Enneagram has been misused. And I'm just going to go into this is that I think that it's been misused as a sword. It's been used to attack people. So I type as an Enneagram seven and, and, um, you know, if someone were to look at me and my behavior and say, you're being such a seven. Mm. that's in an attacking way because what they are doing is looking at the stronghold. So every number you pointed this out, they have a, a best attributes and they have, you know, unhealthy or not best attributes. And that's why the Enneagram is actually a really dynamic um, assessment of our wiring because it's not just telling us who we are as, as our default personality. But why I love it so much is it points directly to what our unique stronghold is and where we can look to grow and become healthier in life, which is what I would hope we are all pursuing is growing a journey of growing and becoming our healthiest versions. And uh, for those who have some questions around how Enneagram connects to our faith, one of the most compelling, you know, things I have heard in support of a biblical perspective to Enneagram is Beth McCord always says um, that Enneagram brings clarity, but the gospel brings transformation. There you go. The Enneagram shows us things, but it is the gospel that transforms us. And so I love that you brought that up. So it's misused as a sword. It's misused as a seal. So people can start walking around and only identifying as their Enneagram type. And I think that's an unhealthy, I try to catch myself and say, I type as a seven instead of I am a seven. We are not our Enneagram numbers. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed that language. Uh, and that's why you're intentional about it. I type as a seven. And of course, people are going to ask the, like, so Greg, what are you? Well, so I guess I would say I type as a three. Okay. Um, yeah. And and so I, I love that what you're doing there, though, um, you're underscoring what you have been saying, I think, from the beginning, which is our identity, our truest identity. I think you use that language. Our truest identity will be, as Christ followers, yes. will be wrapped around him and the, 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 the truths that we find in the gospel. And I just think that's important for each of us. But could I just say this as a pastor? This is not the only, you wouldn't even have to call it a personality test. This is not the only grid to think through that has been weaponized uh, in the church. I mean, I've heard these conversations over spiritual gifts, Jen. And it's just, 
it's it's got to break the heart of God when he's like, wait, I gave you guys all of these different giftings and abilities so that you would actually do things together. Yes. And instead, you're you're picking up rocks with spiritual gift names on them and whizzing them at each other's heads. And uh, it's, that's just, it's not the way of Jesus. It's not. And it, and it, it I, I think about how much he must smile when we really look and see how intentionally he created us with so much intention yes, and so much crafting, which makes him the God who sees me. Like I'm not just another number and another human on a planet floating around. Yes. And yes. when we do this work, and I, we do this work at Campwell and Scout, and and I and I do it to where we start putting together a puzzle piece, and these pieces of how our lives fit together, and God intentionally created us from the beginning of time, and then in the big picture of God's kingdom and the work He's called us to do as a body, those pieces all fit together in the most beautiful way, and when we can start to we zoom in a little bit and see these things and then you zoom back out and see right. how together um, that innately we were given these different giftings and wirings at birth so yeah. that together inside community, we reflect the wholeness of God. That's it. That's it. That's it. So, so um, I'm, I'm thinking of these various people that are listening and you've done a beautiful job of helping somebody who I think is Perhaps at the beginning of understanding this conversation, I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, online tests. And, and, you know, so now someone is a little bit, they're intrigued and they're going, okay, Jen, this, this might be a good, th this could even be a discipleship tool for me. And there's a plethora of tests out there online. And, um, you know, I, I think I know where you are on this, but will you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe like how do you how do you start this learning discovery process? Yes, there is if you are interested and you don't really know, I would say start with a book called The Road Back to You. It, Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabil wrote it. They co-wrote it. It is a great intro to the Enneagram. And I encourage you to read all the numbers because I think it's important again to see, um, through the lens of wholeness, how we all together reflect the image of God. And I will say this warning. The Enneagram is not a feel good journey. The real true intention is for it to be used to, um, bring transformation, but for transformation to come and healing and growth to come, we have to see the areas that need growth and healing. And so I would encourage, you know, the person who is starting out this journey to enter into that with hope and understanding that it might get a little uncomfortable. So if you're reading this book, for instance, and you get to a chapter on a specific number and you start getting a little squirmish or uncomfortable, that's probably the the number you type as we know our we know ourselves not by what we get right but by what we get wrong um and and i say that to say I, i'll give this story to give a little bit of context for that uh, suzanne stabil is a master enneagram teacher she's been doing this for decades and she kept getting called to this church to teach enneagram and they said we only want you to focus on the positive traits of enneagram don't go into the the negative things 
And she kept going back and forth in a conversation with them. And she did come and, and teach. Everyone left. Most people did not know their number at all. They didn't have any clarity on what their number was. They had her come back. She taught it again in the fullness, the, the, the best and worst in our strongholds. And people had more clarity. And so I, I say that to say it can get a little uncomfortable with the hope that we really truly see, hey, what are those things keeping me in unhealth? And the, the great thing about Enneagram is as you start identifying that, it gives you a path towards health. It doesn't just leave you in this place of frustration and discouragement. Yeah. It shows you and points you again through the gospel um, yeah. how to um, pursue health. So you spoke about Tess. I would say start with the book. But if you get to the book and you're like, I still, I'm still struggling with some numbers, there is a great test. It's the EnneagramInstitute.com. And the mm-hmm. test is called Ready, R-H-E-T-I. I think it's about 144 questions. It's only about $12. Now, my warning there is only about 75% of the time is the test accurate. And again, it goes back to what I said before. Tests, we're answering questions in tests based on our behavior. The test, it's going to be hard for a test to tell me why I behave that way. So that's why they can be a little bit off in accuracy, but it is going to get you a lot closer and help you see um, really where your numbers are not going to fall. Those lower numbers, you're like, I can probably toss those out and just continue doing some work and reading and studying. It took me probably eight months to figure out what my number was. I tested as a five the very first time, and I'm actually a type as a seven. Okay. Okay. But th- that, that's why it's a process yes. and not an event. Yes. Um, what I was going to say earlier, I do not want to in any way put words into your mouth. I, I want you to hear what I think I'm hearing you say and see if I'm tracking. When I enter into this discussion and I look at the various ways that God makes people, I really, it's an invitation to, to, it's an invitation to wonder. So not only are, am I fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's this reason that God has done what he's done. So if I can enter into this with wonder, as I'm looking at you and the rest of, of the people around me. That keeps me from maybe getting a little bit um, ugly with some things, but then there's also got to be a there's there's got to be a courage to look inward, certainly with wonder. But I, I've got to be okay with seeing things that I might not want to spend much time looking at. Yes, that is exactly true, and I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And I I would love to give your listeners just this example of of myself. As a, as a seven, as a type seven, our, one of our strongholds is we, we avoid pain and boredom. We hate being stuck and trapped in pain and boredom, and we will do anything we can to avoid that. And so a lot of our lives on the outside can look really full and busy. Um, we're upbeat all the time, but that when we're operating, um, out of a place of unhealth, trying to avoid something, then that's, not a healthy way to live. The journey I've been on in the last couple of years, as I've learned this about myself, is I have been 
working to develop a deep practice of being able to hold space for grief and pain and suffering, not just in my life, but then it's also equipped me to enter in that with other people and for it not to feel uncomfortable for me. If, if God's word says for us to mourn with those who mourn, right. I am called to enter into that, but my, my wiring makes that hard for me to do that. And so growth for me, my growth journey the last few years is to really have a deep understanding of, of what God's word says about grief and suffering, how he has modeled for us, how to sit in that. I go back to, there's a story in first Kings about Elijah and his depression and how God entered into that. Yes. And so, so that has been my specific journey with first understanding, oh, that is why my calendar is always full. If I'm not careful, if I'm not careful to savor the present moment, if I can't focus on today and be present with people, because I'm always looking ahead. Mm-hmm. I have been a lot more aware of that in my life and come into a, a sort of a balance, a healthy balance. So that's just an example of maybe something coming up. There's like, Ooh, I don't like that about myself. What does this right. mean? How does it al- not align with God's word and his, his desire for my life and how I relationally interact with people and what can I do to grow in this? Right, right, right. But the growth that you're describing is not merely self-improvement. Your growth is, there's a trajectory towards Christ that you, I mean, you can't help every, every answer. You keep looping it back to God's word and, and the gospel. So this trajectory just isn't a self-improvement journey. Correct. And it seems to me when you were describing your, um, your work, um, for me, if we're going to say that I'm typing as a three, I love, I love being able to get stuff done and I love that. And I, and, and, but if someone doesn't accept or approve of what I'm doing, there are times that it just has too much effect on me. and. My journey through that has to be, I have to be equipped with who Jesus is and who he says I am versus me just gutting this out on my own. Yes. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yes. But I, and, and oftentimes people who type as threes, they have a deep desire for their value and worth to be found in who they are, not what they do. But they've been told their whole life that they are only valuable as valuable and worthy as to their success and their performance and what they do, that their deepest desires for people to love them for who they are. And we ultimately, ultimately can find our security and confidence in Christ's love for us apart from anyone else's approval of who we are. That's it. I don't think you can take the journey to this other side of the coin, if, if you want to call it that, or to these, these, these these moments of truth that we have to face. I don't think you can take that journey without Jesus uh, and and fully get to a place of of healing and wholeness, which to me then is us living lives as disciples. I'd love to go just a little bit, and then I, I want to come back to some questions that we started with at the beginning. But uh, is there anything you've done a I think just a brilliant job of helping us to understand this, to put it in context, even to help people in the 
in the middle stages of this, um, if there are if there are people who are um, antagonistic towards this, what what do you lovingly say to them? And if there are people who are perhaps obsessive about this, what do you say to them? Because I couldn't agree more what you said earlier about how the evil one just will immediately look for ways to create division and strife within the body of Christ. And I'll go on ahead and say, we've experienced an awful lot these last two years. Uh, so to people maybe on both extremes when it comes to the Enneagram, what would you say to them? I would say to the one who may be antagonistic or not like Enneagram, I would say to them, that is perfectly okay. Um, <laughs> this is not the end-all be-all. It is one one tool, and it is just a tool. And so I would say to them, there is so much permission and freedom to not um, want anything to do with it. I would I would say if it's based on um, fear around how it's been weaponized and how it's been misused or questions about the origin, I would just refer back to what I said before that, 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 um, you know, it's not far for me to, to believe that God in God's creation of us and our wiring that a group of people could take that and to your point, weaponize it, misuse it. We see it. And you said this, we see it all across um, history of good things, um, being taken and twisted and perverted. And, um, and I would say, uh, I would say, I'm sorry to the people who it has been weaponized against. I would say, I'm sorry that that has been your story with this tool. Um, I have a huge heart and burden to redeem how it has been misused and how it has been used irresponsibly. Um, so that is what I would say. Um, so I would say to the other group of people that you mentioned that might be obsessing over it or it coming and you, you brought this up at the beginning, which I think was a great example is how often do you speak of it and use it as the lens through which you see and relate to people? I think we have to be careful about how much stock and emphasis we put on it. So I would say, look at how, how much you're talking about it. Do you see the person first? The, the, the way they reflect Jesus first, or do you see their Enneagram number first? I heard someone say that um, m for decades and decades, people who have taught Enneagram centuries, probably uh, teachers of Enneagram have said, I never tell people what my number is. And the reason they don't is so that if I'm talking to you, Greg, and I introduce myself and and you say, you know, ooh, what Enneagram number are you? And I tell you, your mind is automatically going to the negative traits of that number. Like you're already thinking, oh, she's flighty or, you know, all over the place or she can't, you know, she's yeah. the life of the part. You're already filtering me. So the truth is, the truth is when I disclosed my number to you a minute ago, I wondered if that was a good thing or not. I was like, oh boy, you know, so I typed this way. I literally had some of those thoughts uh, <laughs> kind of running through my head. Is this going to be helpful or not? But, you, but that comes from a real, a real place of having experienced being seen and 
treated through the lens of Enneagram. And I think we have to just speak here. I catch myself. I mean, I teach this and I catch myself um, as I'll catch myself being about to say, oh, what Enneagram, you know, and, mm-hmm. and because I want to try to, I, they say this, people say this in resistance to Enneagram. I don't want to be put in a box. And teachers will say, it doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box you're in and how to get out, which is true if you use it rightly. But if we are not careful, we will just keep putting all people in an Enneagram box on what limited information we know. We do not know where they are on their journey of growth and healing and wholeness. We don't know where they are. And we have to give them that freedom and opportunity to be on whatever journey and path that they are. Now, on the flip side, I do think it has been incredibly helpful for me inside relationships without being, I don't use it. I love that you use that word weaponized. I don't use it as a weapon, but I, it has been a helpful tool. Even in my marriage, it has been incredibly helpful to not take things personally at, at an instinct, but to see that, oh, he's processing the situation through the lens of how he is uniquely wired. He's, he's types as an Enneagram one. He sees all things through what's right and wrong. Things need to be fixed in his brain. And I just remember there's been a couple of like any, the couple of times we've had like some conflict that we had to really work through. I was able to see it through that lens. Like he just needs this to be fixed. And so I'm able to communicate to him in a completely different way, knowing that about him. I I, I think that is, that's great. And I appreciate you're just, you're continuing to put, I don't know, flesh and blood around these theoretical conversations that I've just heard happening um, in so many different settings. And it, it, it's bridge building. Honestly, it's, 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 there's a chance here for a kind of unifying sort of conversation that can happen, which sort of takes me to something that, that may not even be related to the Enneagram that I know that to go back to your work, particularly with young women, um, I've, I've read where you talk about reclaiming community. Mm. Um, tell me what that means, because when I hear that, I know what I think and I know what I'm longing for, but what do you mean? reclaim community? I think just like so many things in our, our world, and it's been increasingly this way, um, there has just been a lot of broken community. And if we look at, at God's design for community being, being accomplished originally in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, like that, that perfect community, that is his heart. It is his design and desire for us in the body. And, and even in um, Ephesians, it talks about how he, he, until eternity, he's continuing to build this body of believers, the church and gathering, um, because we are, uh, the body is the temple where, where Christ dwells. And so I think it's really important to him that we do this well. That on this earth we do community well. Yes, yes. And so when I speak of reclaiming, I I use that word in, from the place of um, there are a lot of things I believe we are on this earth to redeem and reclaim God's original intent and design. We will never see the perfect restoration 
of that, this side of heaven. But I do, I do believe the purpose we have been given on this earth is to do that work of redeeming and reclaiming what his original intent was. I'm, I'm with you. I completely agree. And I think this, this heartache of isolation has only been compounded in recent months, uh, you know, mm. just this whole season that we've gone through and we are created for, for community and for relationship. But uh, there are people right now that are, they're just overwhelmed, Jen, with, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't even know what to do next. What, what do you say to someone who's just, they are truly alone right now? Yeah, I think in that, it, it honestly breaks my heart because I think that that is the majority of people. I think the majority of people are exhausted and weary. They're tired and they're lonely. And, and I, I think it starts with us. Um, I know I have been convicted in the past and challenged in the past that as I sit in my loneliness and weariness, I'm waiting for someone to reach out to me. And so I would say, um, prayerfully consider one person you can reach out to. Like go first in that. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's hard. And some people might be listening and saying, I don't even have one person I know. And I would say, pray, ask God to give you a name. And I think um, rest, I talk a lot about rest and Sabbath rest. And I think the importance of that, a lot of people think we're supposed to rest so that we can go do more. And And I believe John Mark Comer talks about this, how God built into the fabric of creation, Sabbath rest. He did it from the beginning in Genesis. And it is, it is a gift. It has purpose. It has intention. And I think it's the very thing that I myself have gotten out of the practice of doing. And when I am rested and surrendered and I don't take on the weight of the world. I think that's one reason a lot of us are weary is because we have um, inappropriately, not rightly taken on the weight of the world. And I think that, that God longs for us to care well for people, but not carry more than he intended us to carry. And we have to do the work of discerning that. We our our bodies, our minds, our brains, our hearts were not equipped and designed and made to take on the weight of the world. Like mm-hmm. back in the beginning, we all lived in really small, you know, villages and and places and spaces, and that was the extent of who we knew and what we knew. And now we know everything right. that's going on. That's right. Everywhere. That's right. And that's our right. brains and our bodies are not designed for that. Yeah, I, I was as you were talking. I was thinking, isn't it ironic that after this last two years, essentially, uh, when we were forced to not do so many things, we're not coming out of this more rested. We're coming out of this more exhausted. Yes, for the very reasons you're describing. Yes, it is ironic because one would think, well, everything <laughs> right. just shut down. We should feel really rested. And I, it's a weird. A twist of events that has not produced what we thought maybe it would produce. And because I don't know that we, that I think we think of rest as a physical uh, stopping doing things rest. And yet we have not 
done the practice of stopping from worry, stopping from wanting, and stopping from working. And we have not stopped and surrendered and said, you know what, if I quit worrying about that person or that thing, that God's God is still in control. Like we haven't emotionally and spiritually rested. We know what physical rest is, but I don't think that we truly know what emotional and and spiritual rest looks like. I I couldn't agree more. And this this conversation, which could go on much longer, is it's it's it hasn't just been informative. It has been um it's been restoring, honestly, Jen. I'm not I'm not just saying that. I think you're you're leading us towards some thoughts and some practices uh that could that that could bring us a kind of restoration and and i'm 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 thinking that's what we need as we come out of this this pandemic era and as we keep moving forward so i just thank you this has been a blessing and i can't wait for us to share some of the the resources in the show notes and 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 for our paths to cross again but we usually end these things you know how these podcast things go <laughs> Uh, with some questions and kind of some one-offs. And so this just gives us a chance to to learn even just a little bit more about you. And if you're up for it, we'll just kind of go through some of these real quickly. Sure. Um, we have something we call a way to go award. Um, and we don't really have any impressive hardware to send to anyone, but uh, it's somebody who's getting stuff done in this world. It's someone who's making a difference. It's someone who uh, they they just deserve a way to go award these days. Who would you nominate for such an award? I have a sweet friend. Her name is uh, Lori Ferguson Wilbur, and she uh, has been writing and writing and writing. Uh, a beautiful manuscript before she ever knew if anyone would pick it up. And I have just been so incredibly proud of her for doing that. Um, she's just been faithful to the words God's given her, um, regardless of whether it would see the light of day. And that's the kind of, the kind of hard work in the hidden spaces um, yes. of one's world um, where they are faithful uh, when no one's looking. So I would say her. All right. That's, that's beautiful. Okay, now we have some, you know, we call it a godzillion and one. We'll hear the end ones. We just have just one questions. Here we go. What's one person that has made a ma lasting impact on your life? I'm going to say my husband. Okay, okay. Um, one thing that you're loving these days, now this could be an artist, this could be, a, you know, a like a worship album that dropped. It could be a series you're watching uh, or streaming. It could be a book that you read. What's one thing you're loving these days that we should check out that we maybe we haven't heard of? Has everyone said Ted Lasso? <laughs> no, but isn't that just, well, you talk about restorative. Oh my um, gosh. Oh my God. Um, my wife and I were just talking about how, it's so interesting to me that many of his reactions are so Christ-like. Uh, and I, you know, you don't hear faith expressed in any way in this series, no. but I'm like, golly, there has to be somebody somewhere in the, somebody somewhere has been exposed to, to the ways of Jesus. Cause his, I, yes, he's well, been, he's been good for us. It's funny that you said that. Cause I did post the other day that Roy Kent 
reflected Jesus in an episode. And I had some people be like, most people said, I know exactly which moment you're talking about. And I had one person go, I'm really struggling with this statement. I'm like, it was the moment in the, do you know which moment I'm talking about? Um, I think I, I think I could guess. In the locker room when he just went over to, to Jamie and gave him a hug and didn't say a word. And I just, my husband and I are both weeping on the couch and I'm like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. that's what he does. He just well, I'm telling you. and wraps us up. And when he so bluntly said, essentially, I'm choosing to forgive this guy when I don't want to. Yes. I was like, yeah, write that one mm-hmm. down. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's it. so many that's things. <laughs> What's one way that you're connecting with God these days? I would say one way I'm connecting with God these days is when I witness him at work in my life where I am doubting or questioning, and then I watch him show up through people in my life. I think that's been one of the most transformative things in the last decade is how he has shown up in my life through people. It's been so profound. I I grew up where I thought the only place he could show up was in church and the Bible. (laughs) And I am witnessing him show up in my life through people. And it's been really profound. Oh, that's good. That's good. What's one lesson you wish you could have learned sooner? I wish I had learned the lesson of waiting and patience sooner. I would say in my early 20s, I believed that life needed to look a certain way. And the way that um, church told me it needed to look like, my friends, uh, success, professions, my parents. And I wish I had I had just waited a little bit more patiently for God to make himself known to me, not to everybody else. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Yes. What's one trait you had as a kid growing up that you still have today? Oh, creativity. Mm -hmm. I just love building things. I am a builder. Okay. One last one. What's one way you're moving into this next year with hope? I am really, really excited and burdened at the same time for this next generation, for for gathering these 18 to 24-year-olds. I just, I have a lot of hope for them. I really do. Um, And I also believe so deeply we have got an opportunity to disciple and mentor them in a really important, unique, and profound way. And, And whatever and however God wants me to do that, um, I'm excited about the opportunity to do that through Scout um, and excited at and hopeful and the ways that he's going to free them up to live different lives more confidently and in more freedom. Jen, you've been a blessing. This has been great. Uh, I know, I know our folks are just going to, to be so glad that they, that they were able to, to listen in on this. And I just want to thank you again for taking the time out to, uh, to share with us and, uh, and uh, blessings on you and your ministry. And I really do. I, I hope and pray that there's an opportunity for us to just intersect sometime in the future and uh, and catch up in person. Me too. We're only one state away. So. No kidding. We Surely. should be able to pull that off, don't you think? <laughs> Surely. Thank you so much. This, is, this has been a blessing to me. And I just appreciate your questions and your intentionality um, on behalf of your, your listeners. It's really, it's really good. Thanks for listening to a Godzillion in One podcast. 
subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and head over to gregholder.com for the show notes. And as always, stop and notice this week the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. We'll see you next time.